All right, good morning, everybody, man. This is Kellen Buffington back with you after a couple of weeks off. And we are back with the Triple Double podcast this morning, uh, which is definitely a run KNC production. So we're back in. And today I think we want to kind of dive into the topic of rankings. And it is a very delicate um, conversation. And I've kind of been on both sides of them. You know, I kind of lead with that because before I started doing – being an evaluator, you know, coming up with my own rankings, I ran a program. You know, I think a lot of people remember that. I had my own program for five years. So I had players who were subject to the rankings. And I remember taking questions from those kids and questions from those parents. And as a program director, you know, I always tried to focus in and, and basically say those rankings don't matter. I will be the first person to tell you they do. They're not the ultimate decision maker because I think they're wrong a lot more than they are correct but ultimately they matter because we do have college coaches who go specifically off of those rankings that's how they they, they draw them to you and whatever the case may be so as we lead off the first quarter maybe even the whole first half of the triple double podcast this morning we're really gonna try to dive into rankings and and I'm gonna tell you you know my truth and my experience with them um, as far as rankings go and I was kind of looking at an old ranking uh, ESPN. You know, is ESPN is, is, is a leader in sports at every level, high school rankings, college rankings. That's where we go to get our sports information from, right? So I think we were looking at the class of, was it 2001? 2002. And I'm glad that class got, got pulled up, and I'm trying to find it because my phone is not letting me find uh, those actual rankings I'm trying to pull up. But that class was loaded in, in Dallas, in Texas that year, period, I want to say. I know Chris Bosch was a part of that class. Um, Darren Williams was a part of that class. Bracey Wright was a part of that class. Um, Horton at Cedar Hill. And we talked about how good this class of 20 – dang, that class was 20 years ago. Because this is the graduating class of 2022. So 20 years ago we looked at – we pulled up ESPN's ranking – and the first thing that kind of popped out to me was um, number 100. It stopped at 100. And number 100 was Darren Williams from the Colony. A phenomenal career at Illinois. A multiple-time All-Star in the NBA with, um, with the Utah Jazz. Uh, got it. Number one in that class was Lenny Cook. Y'all sure y'all know the Lenny Cook story, man. And it kind of goes back to what we're saying. So let's get back on track with the rankings. Let me tell you what my formula is for rankings, okay? My formula is it, it starts with production because, to me, you can't be a legit collegiate prospect if you aren't productive at something in high school, okay? Um, I look at production first. Then I look at size and skill set for their projected position in college, so you're looking at production, then you're looking at size and skill set. If this person is a is a two guard, are they six three six four? If they want to try to play Division One basketball, um, if they are six three six four, can they operate in a ball screen? Do they make shots? Can they handle the ball? So that's part of your formula for it. Okay. So you look at production, 
Then you look at size and skill set. Then you want to try to project. Um, athleticism then starts to come into play. I think a lot of times we put so much focus on athleticism that you ignore lack of production to a degree when it comes to rankings. So that's pretty much my formula. But over time, as I've as I've gotten deeper into this, I figured out for me personally, I think the easiest thing to do in, in basketball as far as evaluating and ranking kids is to identify and evaluate. I think that's easy. I think like if my wife, she can walk in the gym and she can tell you if a kid looks better than the other kids in there or not. That's pretty easy. So we've identified them. Then you evaluate. Uh, good evaluators doesn't take you too long to figure out if a kid can play. What I try to do is see a kid at least three times a year. I want to see them with their high school. I want to see them with their AAU team. And I want to see them in a practice. So I want to get them in, in every aspect so I got different viewpoints on the same player in different situations. But I think the most important thing for me now as an evaluator is the investigation piece. So I look at, number one, I identify. Number two, I evaluate. Number three, I go into an investigation because now I need to investigate, can this player get to where they need to get to to be successful in college? And that is where your family and your friends come into play. Are the people in your circle holding you accountable? Are they holding you um, – are they supportive? Are they pushing you to, to pass your level of comfort? That piece is important. I think that is the, the, the reason that we miss so much with rankings. I think everybody identifies and evaluates. I don't think everybody is, is investigative enough, and it's hard to be because it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of resources to dive into a player's family. But as a scout who um, college coaches pay you for your information and your intel, who NBA scouts pay you for your information and your intel, that is a part of your job description. Like they need that piece, okay? So let's kind of go back and look at uh, 2022 rankings, and I want to kind of figure out the misses. Now, it's, it's towards we playing Monday morning quarterback essentially. Um, we're, we're going back 20 years in, in hindsight. I've actually seen the Lenny Cook story. Phenomenal documentary. You never got a chance to see it. Lenny was the number one player in the country in a class that had Carmelo Anthony and Amari Stoudemire in it. Think about that. Melo is a Hall of Famer. Amari Stoudemire had a phenomenal run uh, with the Phoenix Suns straight out of high school. He's got a chance to get to the Hall of Fame at, at some point, right? Um, D'Angelo Collins at number 12, who I played against in high school, a couple of years younger than me, from Inglewood, California. So I know Lenny and I know D'Angelo's stories very closely, right? Lenny was a rock star. He was treated like a pro while he was an amateur. Pro game, phenomenal. 6'6", six, six, could handle the ball, was tough, played with a high motor. Um, I think a lot of people ignored, for the most part, the circus going on around this kid. And I think sometimes you ignore it because you were a part of it. Like I'm looking at Imani Bates right now with Memphis, and I'll circle back with that one. Um, Lenny did not reach his potential, in Lenny's words, because the people around him. You know, nobody cared enough about Lenny to tell Lenny no. Everybody was just a part of Lenny's ride. You know, Lenny was clubbing. At 17, Lenny wasn't about to work because everybody told him, you a pro. So imagine being 17, 18 years old 
people are already telling you're successful. You've already made it. Um, and it's a lot to expect from a kid to, to, to keep working, you know, after that. So Lenny being at number one, I really believe Lenny did not pan out because of what surrounded him. It wasn't because he lacked talent. Then you look at Melo. You know, Melo was number two in that class. Melo is still in the league with the Lakers right now. You know, and Melo and Lenny Cook are, are, are really good friends. As you saw them, their interaction in the um, in the documentary. So Melo made it. Let's kind of scroll down a little bit. D'Angelo Collins. D'Angelo was a middle school sensation. 6'9", chisel frame. I remember playing him in a summer league game. <clears throat> Excuse me, going into my senior year of high school, D'Angelo was going to a sophomore year. D'Angelo spent his freshman year of high school in a juvenile detention facility because he broke a kid's jaw. Um, they moved him down to the inner city, which is Inglewood, California, in L.A., which is really nuts. And D'Angelo ended up declaring for the NBA draft out of high school, made the McDonald uh, All-American game, went undrafted. I have not heard from D'Angelo since. You know, but D'Angelo's circle was was a little different, man. Everybody thought D'Angelo was just a pro. Uh, I go through, I scroll down a little bit. I'm just looking at I'm going to give you all some of the names I see on here. Carmelo Amari Stoudemire, class of 2020, uh, 2002. Sean Dockery, Duke. I remember Chris Bosh, Hall of Famer. Just went into the Hall of Fame. Chris Bosh was 19th on this list. Right behind another kid from Dallas, Texas, Bracey Wright. Bracey was at the Colony, big-time scoring guard in high school, man. Bracey was pretty good at Indiana, too, though. He had a good career at Indiana. Bosch went to Georgia Tech, ended up being a top three or four pick in the same draft as LeBron and Melo, and ended up in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Bracey had a good career. let you know how hard the NBA is and, and how to get there. But I'm looking at Bracey's size. Bracey was a 6'2 shooting guard. That's not prototypical NBA size. Well, Chris Bosch was a 6'10", very versatile four man. So, Bracey might have been a better player in high school, but Bosch had better physical attributes, which made him probably a better prospect. And he picked the right school. He was at Georgia Tech, wanted to, you know, play for Paul Hewitt in college um, at G-Tech. Kind of scroll down a little bit more. Ike Diagu, monster from Garland, Texas. Back in the day, I ended up being a lottery pick, I want to say, went to Arizona State, played for Tony Benford, who's at TCU now. So he ended up pretty well. Um, man, there's some big-time names on here, man. Like this right around the time I was still playing. Armin Kirkland. You know, Kirkland runs a, a, a AAU program out of Dallas now called A1 Game Athletes, ended up in Cincinnati. He had a good uh, – Andre Iguodala was 79th. Iguodala was 79th in his class, man, and Iguodala has had like a 12-, 13-year NBA career. But you look at Iggy. Iggy was versatile, kind of a wing kid. Iggy 6'6", 6'7", could defend, so he got there. You got Brian Hopkins from Lincoln that year. This was the year they won a national championship at Lincoln High School with uh, Hopkins, freshman sensation Byron Eton, who ended up going to Oklahoma State. So you kind of look at this stuff, man, and you really like, man, like, how is these dudes making it and not? All these kids on this list are talented. At some point, they were very, very talented kids. Um, it's just very hard to to go to the NBA. It, and it boils down to grinding. Like, you got to work. Like, the number next year, and if you're fortunate enough to get that ranking, you still have to work because it's not the end of the road. 
you know, we kind of – I talked about on Twitter the other day, man. I saw a ranking of a football kid. Like, it said he was the number one running back in the class of 2032. And I'm thinking to myself, like, man, this is kind of sick. Like, you know, like 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 my partner said, you, this kid can't even brush their teeth. Like, like they can't even get up routinely brush their teeth. How do they read? Can they tie their shoes at this point? But we're already telling this kid, you're the best player in the country in your class. And you're telling his parents that. You know, so at that point, man, you either start to, to drink your own Kool-Aid or you spit it out because you don't like how it tastes. But the one common denominator of these guys that are getting to, to the peak of sports is work. Is work. Tyrese Maxey. Maxey's a worker. And I know this personally. Ollie, he's a worker. He's talented, but everybody at that point is talented, in my opinion. Worker. Kay Cunningham. Worker. He works. Talented, but he works. So I, you, you, you got to be careful when rankings with, when it comes to complacency. You know, you don't want to get complacent when kind of speaking about where you rank because you have to continuously prove yourself. Basketball is such a competitive market because at every level you play at, it's always somebody coming in a year after you. You know, I look at Richardson High School. You look at Kaysen and, and, and Riley, two neighborhood kids. I'm sure the two neighborhood kids that were seniors when they got there as freshmen, you know, they kind of had to, to, to move to the back of the ground because you had two dudes who were coming. College is the same way. Once they get a commitment from you, they got to get somebody else in that next class. The NBA draft, there's a draft every year. Each team is scheduled two picks a year, one in the first round, one in the second round. Some of them trade them off. Some of them acquire more picks, but there are going to be 60 players drafted into the NBA every year. That means somebody got to go because nobody's under roster space in the NBA. So to create room for those 30 first-round picks that are a lock, they get a, a guaranteed contract, somebody has to go. So it's, it's constantly proving yourself, constantly working. Like you cannot get to where you want anything in life without work, but especially basketball – because kids are playing this all over the country now. It's millions of kids playing basketball for a select few spots. So we're going to end the first quarter on that piece, and then we'll kind of come back. We'll talk to you guys about identifying, kind of my formula, formula, identifying, evaluating, and I'll get into a little bit, talking about more of the investigation piece um, in the next quarter. All right, back for the second quarter in the Triple Double Podcast. Um. We're going to talk a little bit more about the investigation piece right now. You know, um, guys like myself, and I do it on a much smaller scale than, you know, NBA scouts and stuff, but I've talked to guys who have called and asked about previous players um, in a DFW coming in for an upcoming draft. And it is truly amazing, you know, the amount of detail questions that um, – these guys ask, and I get it because they're making such a large financial investment into a person and a player, but essentially it's, it's somebody that's a, a, a product that they want to feel comfortable with putting out on the floor and, and even more so off the floor. So I've put a lot more time and effort into the investigation piece once I identify and evaluate a prospect. Because for the most part, man, the top 100, the top 150 kids in the country, it's not a large gap between 101. And we see it every year with these drafts, you know, because 
these rankings never stand stand fit. You know, a good friend of mine a while back told me the only ranking that matters is on draft night. That's the one that really matters. But we have them, so here we are. So I want to talk about just the circle. You know, when you when you talk about investigation, that's not just the player. You are really talking about the person around them, their parents. Are the parents together? Are they split? You know, like it's, 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 it's very invasive, but it needs to be because even a college scholarship, you know, depending on where you're going, could cost you – somebody's making a $100,000 investment. Now, they want to make sure it's, it's a good investment. So, you know, if the parents are split – do they are they amicably making the right decision for their kid? You know that matters. Is there an uncle who's looking to start a business all of a sudden? Is there friends who don't play basketball and kind of want you to kind of stay away from it too? Like they want you to hang out. You want to go to the movies and go mess with girls and all that stuff is normal being a teenager. It's nothing wrong with that, but. You know, in this competitive space, it requires a lot of sacrifice. So you need people around you who understand the level of sacrifice that it takes for you to reach your goals. And you have to make sure people who are around you are aligned with where you're trying to go. But most importantly, can they help scale out a plan for you to get there? You know, and not just get there, but stay there. And when I start talking about, you know, the circle – Man, it's 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 really tough because I've seen circles take pros, guys who have potential pro ability, zero question, and just pull a rug from out under them. You know, and I don't want to mention specific names or anything like that, but you know, as many talented guys that we have coming out of Dallas, Texas, and Los Angeles, California, New York, I think a lot of these people will begin to tell you some of the most talented players that they ever saw in their lives you've never heard of, you know, just because of what was going on. Because it's hard to get to that point. But it's not because of talent or or lack thereof. It's because of decisions being made, you know, by the circle. And, you know, as a player, a lot of people are counting on y'all to get to a certain place to, to a degree kind of validate them being around you if they're not for you. You know, some of y'all got, got really good circles and you got good parents, you got good friends, you got good mentors. Some of some people, man, they, they don't, and it affects their ceiling. Like I tweeted something not too long ago, your circle is your ceiling. If you show me, and I watched the 30 for 30 on Maurice Claret, who was special at Ohio State, man. And Maurice, I, it, it, amazing story. Maurice would tell you, you know, if you show me your friends, I can tell you your future. You know, the people around you will determine that. You know, and I, I very talented guy I grew up with, Omar Weaver, 6'8", shooting guard. was on my high school team. They moved him in from Washington, D.C., transfer kid, best high school basketball player that I've played with. Um, he's actually doing 25 years in the federal penitentiary right now. Um, circle, it, it, no guidance, no accountability, special talent. But I think people allowed his talent to, 
let him get away with stuff that you wouldn't let normal people get away with because they just knew Omar was going to go get a check and they just wanted to be around him when he got paid. You know, Omar ended up having to go to a JUCO out of high school. He's going to Missouri. Quinn Snyder. I remember Quinn Snyder coming to my practice. Love Quinn. Just good dude, man. But Quinn came and got him. It's a kid named Trayvon Bryant. And L.A. ended up with Missouri and Wesley Stokes. And O was the jewel of that class. Omar ended up at a JUCO. Uh, ended up going back home to D.C. after that. Dykeman. Big-time Dykeman basketball player. And Kevin Durant, like I've seen him on the interview, tell people. Omar Weaver was his toughest matchup. Kevin Durant, man, who will probably go down as one of the top five basketball players of all time, would tell you a dude that's doing 25 years in the penitentiary right now was his toughest matchup of anybody he's ever played. And it goes back to your circle. You know, Omar was talented, zero question, but it was people around him who didn't have his best interest as a person first. You know, some of these people will value you guys as just a player. Um, You got to be careful of that. You know, you got to be weary. And my advice to you guys is keep the main thing the main thing. You know, you got to look at who started coming around you when you got talented. Why, what are they there for? Do they have a history of, of showing up to the table when, when other players are talented? You got to do your research. And you cannot allow people to be around you who don't have your best interest in heart because it affects you. The strongest person in the world, man, is only as good as his circle around him. You know, you look at people who are successful. They hang around other successful people. I'm not telling you to alienate anybody. But when it comes to making decisions, it is very important that you have people around you who are, number one, going to hold you accountable. Number two, they're going to support you. That means they're going to push you, push you past your level of comfort to try to get to where, you, where you're trying to get to. And lastly, they're about you. They're not there for the money. And a lot of times it's hard to see early because you don't have any money. But sometimes people take an interest in you because of what they see for you for later. And that's not always a bad thing. But you got to do your research. Because if you dig deep enough, you'll find out the real answer. So the key piece for me as far as an evaluator now, investigator. And that's where my criminal justice background comes in. You know, I'm hoping. But it's like I really have to investigate before I put my name on a player these days. You know, can this kid reach where their talent suggests they can go? Because that's not always the case, specifically because it's people holding you back. You can't allow anybody to hold you back, man. So it it causes for some very difficult conversations, but you have to do that. You know, you don't have a choice. So that's my biggest thing with um, just the circle, you know, with with, with talent. Like, all of y'all are talented at this point. You know, so what's going to separate you is work ethic. You know, and that has to do with a lot of people around you, you know. So we're in the second quarter with that one, man. But players, if you are listening, check your circle. Know your circle. That's so key. Know your circle. It shouldn't be anybody in your circle who you don't really know who they are. You know, you don't know their background. You don't know type of person they are. You know, that's like know the people that's around you. Do you know this person? And if you see me at in any one of these gyms, pull me to the side. That's a that's a conversation I'm willing to have with any parent or any kid at any given time, like a real honest conversation. So definitely um, keep that at the forefront of your minds and be careful out here, man, because a lot of sheep's and wolves clothing out here for sure. All right, guys, back for the third quarter. 
of the Triple Double Podcast, and we still kind of going into rankings, man. I know I've been talking about rankings a lot today, but I want to kind of talk about the the, the the effect, the trickle down or trickle up effect that it has kind of in college basketball. I'm sure you guys are very aware with the transfer portal. Ooh. The transfer portal is so important now, I actually have a tab for it on my website for college coaches. You know, last year I think we were up to 1,600 kids in that transfer portal last year. That's a lot of kids, y'all. When y'all really think about all those kids, and those are kids, um, you know, D2, D1, in the NCAA transfer portal, 1,600. 1,600 kids. Now, of course, it's, it's not a blanket situation, right? People transfer for several reasons. You have coaching changes. You have – um, players who just they, – they picked the wrong fit. And grades, you know, you got guys that just can't cut it. Say they, they start at a really high academic school and they're struggling with the work. They end up having to go to a another basketball school, which is something with a little bit easier work to do or a different degree plan, you know, something that's a little bit easier for those guys. But I want to talk to you guys a little bit how the rankings affect the transfer portal. What I do think is rankings create – expectations um anytime you're ranked really high in any form of work like even if you work in education if your school is designated to be an a school the expectation level there when when administration walks through the, the building is is different you know like like visitors come in and expect to see greatness because of where you're ranked in comparison to your peers. So I read something um, on Twitter a couple of weeks ago, and it talked about how many freshmen were playing at least 20-plus minutes a game at the Power 5 level. It was only 24. 24. Think about that, 24. We see a top 150 ranking every year. Only 24 of the top 150 high school players, um, as cited by national evaluators, are playing 20-plus minutes a game at the high major level. That is very different than what it used to be. The pandemic has definitely played a part in that, but so is the portal. Uh, The portal, let me talk to you guys a little about about that with the transfer portal. Let's say we got a guy at Siena, which is a pretty pretty good college, man. That kid averaged nine points, four assists, and three rebounds per game. 100% a college coach would take that kid out of the portal at Iowa State before they take a high school kid averaging 18 points a game. Doesn't mean that that kid is better, but that kid has already been through two-and-a-half, three-hour practices at the collegiate level. He's already been to school at the collegiate level. He's already competed at the collegiate level. So that is a another reason as to why, you know, the transfer portal, now you don't have to sit. So there is, like, you get immediate experience if you're a college coach and you're trying to win. Let's take Calipari. Calipari is – given credit almost as the creator of the one-and-done model. And he has done a phenomenal job. When you look at John Wall, DeMarcus Cousins, Devin Booker, Tyrese Maxey, uh, Tyree Evans going back to Memphis, Derrick Rose, like he has had a hell of a run at it. But I want to say Cal got four or five transfers. She boy from West Virginia who's leading the NCAA in rebounding. Severe Wheeler who's leading the NCAA in assists from Georgia. Um, Kellen Grady from Davidson who scored 2,000 points. Like, the portal is is real. So now, 
You have high, you have freshmen now, collegiate freshmen who were ranked at the top of their class as basketball players. They're walking into college situations, and colleges basketball teams are older now. And I love it because I feel like the games are better this year than they have been in a while. So they walk in because of their high school ranking, and they expect to play X amount of minutes and have X amount of opportunities. Parents too. And the circle kind of goes back to the circle. The circle feel like, hey, we sent you a top 50 player in the country. He's supposed to get shots. He's supposed to get minutes. It's not working like that anymore. And I don't think people realize how much these college coaches get paid. They don't get paid to play your kids. They get paid to win. John Calipari is not sacrificing $9 million a year at Kentucky to make sure your baby gets shots because of their high school ranking, right? So I think the rankings – and it's a lot of misses in them too. You know, just because a, a person puts a number next to their name doesn't mean it's the correct number. You know, I think it's a lot of gray area when you talk about rankings, man. There's people paying to get ranked now. It's, it's a lot of different things going into that. But now you go into college thinking like, I'm one of the best players in high school the year before. Guess what? That does not matter. But it's leading to more kids transferring. Freshmen are starting to feel like they're failures because they're not playing. 20 minutes a game and averaging 15 points a game as collegiate freshmen in the Big 12, the Big East, the Pac-12, the ACC, uh, American, whatever league in the country, man, whatever, even Division II basketball, the Lone Star Conference in Texas, man, it's hard to play at that level. You know why? Because a lot of those transfers from D1 are going D2 now too. So the, the division, the Lone Star Conference in Texas, as far as AAU, it's that one, and it's another one in Missouri. I think Northwest Missouri, because they win, they win state, they win uh, national title every year. Two elite, they have Division One kids in those leagues, one hundred percent. For whatever reason, they ended up going D two. But you feel like because of your ranking, you're supposed to go in and play. It doesn't work like that. You know why? Because you still got to work. You have to prove yourself again. Now, when the coach transfers, right, because we know coaches, they get opportunity to interview and apply for jobs every year. They do a good job at one job, they on to the next job. Somebody's looking to pay more, might be a better conference. They might be able to get better recruits there. So when a coach leaves and goes to another school, that's another big reason for the portal. But I will tell you this, unless you can go with the new coach, you got to be careful. Because a new staff means a new, almost like a new program. It's a new culture. It's a new system. Nothing's the same. So you got to reprove yourself again. Philosophy. Philosophy is so important. You know, like I look at Texas Tech right now. Just popped Baylor last night. Beer left Tech. You know, we got a kid right now, Jalen Tyson, who committed to Tech when Beer was at Tech, Right? Different situation. Beard takes the job at Texas. Uh, Jalen Tyson goes to Texas with Beard. Jalen was a, a four-star recruit, top 30 in the country, um, 40 in the country, coming out of high school. Stuff doesn't go well at Texas. Uh, Big-time recruit. He feel like he's supposed to play. Beard brought a lot of – Beard brought in eight transfers. A uh, car from Minnesota who was second-team All-Big Ten. Uh, uh, Trey from UMass who was player of the year in his in his league. Um so it was no minutes for Jalen. So Jalen enters the portal at the semester. One semester, he ends up going back to Texas Tech. 
transferred to Texas Tech. So, you know, a lot of that stuff is out of your control, but I think that's even more important that you have to pick. You got to pick a school more so than a coach. Like, you have to be looking at this as such a long-term plan because the numbers suggest you're most of y'all not going to the NBA. It's almost impossible. You know, you're forcing to get to college, but you have to be looking at who has my degree, what type of environment is best for me to be successful in as a young man. I think it makes your your decision easier to live with, even aside from the basketball piece. I think a lot of times we make college decisions based solely off of basketball, and I don't think that is necessarily a good thing. Uh, but you control what you can control, which is the work in your circle. You know, the circle expectations can't be bigger than the work you're putting in. And I think that happens a lot. That's a lot, big reason for a lot of transfers, too. You know, you walk in here with a certain expectation because of what you did in high school and a number that was placed next to your name, and you quit working. You thought you were good enough to go off and just be talented enough to go play. But it's 23-year-old men in college basketball, man. Some of them married, got kids already, and they're there to compete and being competing. They're better than you. They're tougher than you. And you got to find a way to break through that and uh, find minutes. So when you guys are picking these schools, man, make sure you're looking at everything. Degree plan, quality of life, alumni base, fit, philosophy, culture. All that stuff matters, man. You know, because that portal is just as competitive now as just trying to get a scholarship out of high school. You go in that portal, man, you might not know where you're going to end up. You know, so that's the third quarter here. And we'll stop on that note. All right, we back. Fourth quarter, baby. We're going to close up shop. We're going to have a little fun today, man. We up early, man. We we locked in the first three quarters. We up 35 points right now. We resting the starters. So we're going to get in a little bit of something light. We're going to talk about probably my first love. Basketball is definitely my second. My first love is sneakers. First love is sneakers. Uh, first Real big time shoe I ever got was the Reebok Pump. Grandma bought me that shoe once I was in fifth or sixth grade. Seventy dollar tennis shoe. That's a lot of money back then. But it had that pump, man. I thought I could jump higher. Thought I could run faster. And I've been in love with shoes ever since. And the one thing that uh, ballers love sneakers. So let's kind of talk about some of the best shoes to hoop in. I'm a little bit older than you, young guys. So I I, I go back to kind of my days. When I played it, when I was young, guys still played in Jordans. We bought Jordans to play in Jordans. So the most comfortable Jordan I've ever played in, the Elevens, believe it or not, patent leather Jordans. They they're light, uh, good support, and they stylish. Can't beat the patent leather. Also have played in the Fives, love the Fives. Comfortable. That's a good basketball shoe. Favorite shoe to ever. Probably playing, though, Nike Hyperdunk. Special shoe. What I see with the young guys now, Kobe and Kyrie. They love Kobe's. They love Kyrie's. Um, so when you get a minute, man, y'all go to my Twitter page, at the TB5 Reports. At the TB5 Reports, T-H-E-T-B-5, R-E-P-O-R-T-S. Tell me what's your favorite shoe to hoop in and why. Uh, Converse, hey, Converse, Converse, Bird and Magic. That goes back to what, 79? That's what they rookie year, though. But they was hooping in the Converse. 
in college. And and I don't think people realize, I want to say Converse and Nike in the same company, right? That's the same. Uh, Nike bought Converse or something like that. So, like, Shea Gilgis Alexander. Shea plays in, in Converse for OKC, and he got some of the best Converse I done seen. Like, it's it's a new version of it. It's a low top. I'm like, man, these shoes, like, they got no support. I've actually seen Case and Wallace in that shoe. You know, little Birdie told me uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander is Kaysen's favorite player. Shea went to Kentucky. Kaysen's going to Kentucky, and they wear the same shoe size. And he's got Converse that Shea has. <laughs> so I uh, watched Terrio last night. Terrio prefers the Kobe. Uh, Anthony Black can, uh, wears the Kobe and the Kyrie's, man. So I'm interested to see kind of what you guys like to play. And give me some different options, not just Nike. I used to love the Adidas Pro Model, too. Pro Model Adidas, man. Special, and they was patent leather with the shell toe, but they were high top. And they came in all different kind of colors. But the thing I loved about them the most was <laughs> the three stripes, you could replace the colors. That shoe came with, like, 25 different three-stripe color combinations. So you could have a white shoe, and it came with the black stripes on the side, but they also gave you orange, pink, red, anything to, to go with your uh, <laughs> with your uniform. I also use like those Iversons too, the tip, the one with the uh, color tip on them, black tip, red tip, Iversons. I love playing in those. They also – see, I don't wear no Team Jordans now, but back then they made Team Jordans that were stylish and they were comfortable to play basketball in. That was a great basketball shoe. Jason Kidd was my favorite basketball player growing up. Head coach of the Mavericks now. He had a shoe. I forgot the name of him. But I used to wear those a lot too and write number five on the side. So I think sneakers and basketball definitely go hand in hand. You know, you look at some of the more stylish when some dudes like bright colors. You know, tell me if you like your, your shoes to be bright. You like the plain uniform. What's the best color combination? Is it bright sneakers Basic uniform, is it bright uniform, bright sneakers? Like, what's the most important piece of your basketball uniform that you wear? Is it your socks? Is it your sneakers? Is it your 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 uh, your tights? Different shoes. I saw man, a dude from Oklahoma State had on different shoes the other day. He had one black shoe on, one white shoe. I'm like, man, this is getting up. But a lot of people use shoes as a way to express themselves. Like basketball players, I've noticed that it's, it's either something with their hair or it's their shoes, you know, especially with football because you can't see their face. So, you know, they're always going to have them. Do you write on your sneakers? Do you have a certain message that you kind of write to kind of remind you why you grinding? And for y'all that do write on your sneakers, I used to write on my sneakers too, but I don't ever remember looking down for them for inspiration during the game. I wonder if any of you guys kind of take a peek and kind of remind yourself if stuff is getting tough during the game. You might be old for your first four. You might have had a couple of turnovers. Do you kind of go back to that reference you wrote on your shoe for inspiration. You know, I would love to hear those type of answers from you guys, man. So definitely go to our Twitter feed, at DTB5 uh, Reports, or go to your Instagram. Send me your shoes. Y'all got some 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 feet heat? Send me pictures of you. We're going to start doing that this year in the events, too. We're taking pictures of sneakers. We want to highlight who got the most heat in the gym as we move forward. And as we come to a close in the fourth quarter, I just want to kind of remind you guys, uh, we are two months away from the first spring event from the TB5 reports. That's opening day. That'll be at Bob Knight, uh, 12U through 17U. I have a middle school event in February uh, called For the Love of the Game. That will be for fifth grade through eighth grade. Who Want the Smoke is on the docket, May 6th through the 8th. So excited. Man, I got teams from Utah, California, Vegas, Florida, Georgia, Mississippi, 
I mean, they coming from all over for this one, man. Nike, Adidas, Under Armour, Top Independence, Media, 247, ESPN, myself. They'll all be there. So this is going to be a, a, a big deal. It's year four. I'm excited about the platform. I also got a couple of announcements I'll make later on, trying to wait for the ink to dry. But we're going to add a couple more things that's going to make it a lot easier for college coaches to identify your players on this platform. Like, that's the most important piece for me is, is making sure that it's about the players, it's player-driven, it's player-focused, and we are adding some layers to um, make it easier for you guys' kids to be identified, man. So thank y'all for sharing y'all time with us, man. We really have a, a ball doing this. We get better at it every week. Uh, next episode, we're going to try to get us a guest on here for the next episode. You know, I keep it uh, – I keep it silent so you don't know. But y'all know if I bring somebody in here, it's going to be a big-time person. But in your meantime, please get out to a gym in Dallas and support these guys. You know, I don't want y'all to take this for granted that we're going to always have this type of talent running around this city. It's going to always be really good, but it's something very special going on around here. And that's why people keep calling it the Mecca. So make sure you get out. Like I said, private school basketball, north of 635, south of 635. Find your local gym, you know, and, and get out there and come see some of these kids because they really are the future. Uh, this has been Kellen Buffington on the Triple Double Podcast, a Run KNC production. We will speak with you guys soon. Enjoy your week. Enjoy your weekend.